I am Tovacito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Welcome to the very next episode of The Remedy with Tovacito. You guys are in for another huge treat today because we have our fan favorite. You really are our fan favorite. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like you should say, she's back. <laughs> she is back. And, and, scary. And our ratings and listenings are going to go through the roof because of it. Well, thanks. Um, thanks. You, you um you are our most popular guest. That's Janice. so nice. It's Toba. just true. Thank so you. Janice Gant, who is my counselor and my dear friend, um, is back today. But before we start our episode, I have to thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is Stacy Duran, who it's crazy that today is her episode because you are the reason that Stacy and I met, and she is now one of my very best friends. She is so cool. Yeah. She, she really is. She, I adore her. Yeah. She is a very cool chick. Uh-huh, very. Um, but she actually donated so much that the next three episodes of The Remedy will be sponsored, um, are taken care of. Kevin gets so paid sweet. because of <laughs> Stacy. Thank you, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, precious Stacy. Um, okay, so I asked Janice to come back today and have a conversation with me about something that has impacted my life, your life, right? many of our listeners' lives, um, whether it's because we are a product of divorce, our parents got divorced, right. or our best friend got divorced, or we got divorced. Right. Um, so divorce is, I mean, I don't, I don't know one person probably whose lives have not been affected um, by divorce. And so it's a huge topic. It's an important topic. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I met you years ago because my marriage was in trouble. Right. And you um, you were such an important part of my healing through my divorce. And I mean, I still... I'm so I, glad. I, oh. And I feel like I'm still healing from right. that. I mean, I, I, it takes a long, long, long time. There's a lot of pain in divorce, a lot of heartache in divorce. But um, <clears throat> so it's, I think everyone who listens today will benefit from it, even if you've never been married and even if you've never been divorced. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. It is, it's so widespread and it is so multidimensional in its effect on other people and it is so gut-wrenchingly painful trying to decide if that's right for you, going through it, watching your children, the effects on them, and, you know, grieving the fantasy. Because when we, when we marry, we build up a fantasy about what would be, could be, should be, might be. And then when the reality doesn't, line up with the fantasy either you know relatively early in the marriage or later on in the marriage it's extremely painful because you're busting up that fantasy and that's the essence of the pain is the family fantasy that oh I can't I don't want to 
I don't want to destroy this family, and that comes out of everybody's mouth. And then, you know, if there's been infidelity or if there's some sort of addiction or numerous things, I'm like, you know, your family, it's, it's, your family is composed of individuals, and the family will remain a family. It's going to be different, though, but the, but the pain or the behaviors or the situations have greatly altered that fantasy. Yeah. And once the fantasy is busted up completely, then the pain subsides. But it's but it but we still want to touch back into this if only wonder what it would have been like if I had stayed or I should yeah. have stayed or all of those shame based messages that run through our brains in relationship to that. So it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a very big deal. You know, you're, what you're saying about the fantasy being broken up, that that probably was single-handedly, or hands down, the most important thing that you said to me as I was getting my divorce. Because it was so sad for me, and it was so heartbreaking, and every time you would ask me, what are you so sad about? And, I, and then I would answer, you right. would remind me, that was a fantasy. Right. That was not the reality that you were experiencing <laughs> of your marriage. at that time. No. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, re I distinctly remember times driving in my car crying because I was getting divorced and because I was splitting up the family and I would, all the reasons you just said. And right. then your voice, I would... It was like a, it was a tape that I would play in my mind and I would have to remind myself, no, like you are mourning something that did not exist. Right. Like, right. You, you, so like that's what you're mourning. <laughs> well, and it's so difficult because there's, it's not all bad. I mean, right. your relationship in your marriage, my relationship in my first marriage, it wasn't all bad. There right. was a lot of fun and a lot of joy, but there were things that happened along the pathway that the, I think the pain of the reality of it surpassed the joy. But while I would cling to those joyful moments, believing and praying that they would come back, and yeah. yet people change or people don't want or people to do, don't change. <laughs> or they don't change, you yeah. know? And mm -hmm. so it, it's, a, it's a matter of so difficult because we have a value system that is so entrenched in getting married and staying married forever and that's not a bad thing or an incorrect thing but sometimes when that doesn't happen we it's like we're ripped apart yeah. I, w I was so i mean i grew up southern baptist i know i've said that a million times uh on this podcast but i was i was raised in the church and I heard God hates divorce, God hates divorce, God hates divorce. And I mean, I hate divorce. Right. I don't, it's not fun. Right. It's, it's not a great thing to have happen. Right. But what I took from that was that God was going to hate me mm. if I got a divorce. Mm. And that was my biggest issue in, in me making that decision to instigate the divorce process, and it was my decision. Mm -hmm. And so once I came to peace with the fact that God loves me, my, God's love for me is unconditional, mm -hmm. beyond anything that you or I could ever imagine, even beyond the way we feel about our children. Right. And then I was, be, I was able to be at peace, even though I was still extremely sad. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was 
a bad person for wanting that. Now, did you feel like you had to get there? Did when you when you were when you were unhappily married and there were times that you were thinking I want out of this and would you actively think but I can't get out of this or God's going to get mad at me did you have to work through that absolutely mm. absolutely I remember after uh, my ex-husband and I'd been married about 12 years I'd gone to see gone to see a counselor and we had talked about some things and I thought I mean I knew we were in trouble I knew our marriage was in trouble and I stayed married for 10 more years after that. I was married for 22 years before I finally came to the realization that I was not going to be ostracized from God's love and God's grace. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I don't think there's anything we can do that ostracizes us from that. Oh, I a thousand percent. But I didn't really get that. What I heard when I was in that church, and I'm not even saying that's what that minister meant to convey, but that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. I was worried about my parents and what they were going to think about me and my sister and nobody in our family, extended family even, had had ever gotten a divorce. Mm -hmm. So I was the first one. Mm -hmm. And I had, I really had a lot of inner turmoil about that and then the children of course Mm -hmm. because children they don't know what's going on in marriage I mean my children were aware of the fact that my husband and I had a lot of dissension in our marriage Um, but children they don't care really they want both parents but they too have a fantasy about it right they really do so it's hard it is so difficult it is so difficult you know when I when I was, when I was so unhappy and, 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 you know, you think when you're so unhappily married and you start thinking, what would this look like if I got divorced? You know, then for me, fear started oh, settling, absolutely. settling in. And, and beca- I mean, I'm an ordained pastor and, you know, people were looking to me on how to live their life and right. so for me, the shame of what, you know, people had a fantasy about me. Exactly. You know, about exactly. Tova Cito and she, she's got it so together and, and look at what a good mom she is. And, you know, from the outside, our family looked really good. I mean, when we showed up on Sunday at church, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of people. And the truth is, I thought we were right. happily married for so many years. Right. And and I believed my own lie, um, but I really had to work through the shame and the, like, what are people going to think? Right. And, I mean, I remember, I, you know, I speak, I teach, I, I had this large Bible study that I was teaching, and I, I sat down to write an email to all those women in that Bible study to tell them I was getting divorced, and... I couldn't sleep the, the night that, you know, that I decided that tomorrow's the day that I'm going to send that email. I couldn't sleep. I finally got up at like three or four in the morning and I wrote the email and it took me forever to write that email. And I cried so hard writing that email. Oh, I'm sure. And my hands were shaking as I pushed send on that email. And I have to say, you know, it's, it's, understandable fear and I'm sure that there are people who talked bad about me I'm not saying 
that. Um, I'm sure that existed. I never heard that right. that happened. Right. But the overwhelming response of all, ev- everyone in the community and everyone in my life and all of my family and and every single person who received that email who responded back. I mean, I have to say it was a thousand percent love, support, encouragement. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I wish I'd known. I, you know, what can I do? Right. I mean, the, people were so, that fear was very irrational it, well, for me. But I, I know that for a lot of people, it's not. That there are angry families and there are angry church members and there are there are people who have had a negative experience. Sure. And a negative sure. response from friends and family. Well, you know, I think I've probably said this uh, on this podcast before, but fear, the, I love the acronym for fear, a false experience appearing real. Mm-hmm. So what that is, is it's a story we make up about something that could happen in the future. And so that helped me so much thinking a false experience appearing real. This is a false experience appearing real and also exercising my muscle of what you think of me is really none of my business. Oh, I love when it's, you tell me that. <laughs> I love it too. I, because God, so we, good. we want people to like us. We want people to think we're smart. We want people to think we're kind. But when we need it, then we are like, the dog's tail on the rear of the dog. You know, people are wagging us around and we become so paralyzed and and shame-based because of what we think other people might think about us that we're not living from the inside out. We're living from the outside in. Yeah. And so that's really difficult. And that, I wish that everybody would, if you're listening to this, put a sticky note that says what you think of me is none of my business and put it on your mirror, put it on your children's mirror, put it on your husband's mirror so that we try to break that need for the good opinion of others. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and live into an authentic self. Right. Because right. otherwise you're just, you're a puppet and you're, a, you're the world's rag doll. You are, yeah. And that is miserable. Yeah. It's miserable. I've done that. Me too. I've, I've done that, and it is miserable. Oh, yeah, me too. You know, the one of the things that happens with couples that I think is kind of interesting is women tend to grieve the loss of a marriage while they're in it. So, in other words, women will have years of living with unacceptable behavior or verbal abuse or unemo- unemo- emotionally unavailable men, And then as they live with that, without really trying to insist upon some sort of counseling, they start to, their love starts to die in the relationship. And then they'll come into my office and they're done. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they're not in love with this person anymore. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the guys are like, what? (laughs) You know, (laughs) well, I didn't, I had no idea. And the women will say, I've been trying to tell you that for a very long time. And so. In a thousand different ways. In a thousand different ways. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I, I see happen more often than not. And once for women, once that love is gone, or the, the, the romantic love is gone, then 
it's very difficult to get that back. Mm-hmm. Almost impossible. And so, if that's if that how if that's how a woman goes about it, how typically how does a man if a, if a if a man becomes done with a marriage, what what is his typical pattern? Well, I think if a man becomes done with it, what they'll tend to do is act outside of the marriage. I think sometimes, or mm-hmm. they'll go to the wife and say. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're but they're they're so men are so typically entrenched in their jobs that they learn to become comfortably miserable in their marriage. Mm-hmm. And so they will they'll try to find ways to fulfill themselves outside with pornography or or another woman or work addiction or alcoholism, something like that, rather than talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because it's so difficult. Men have been cultured, you know, we've talked about this too, about not talking about their feelings. So I think that the what's the bottom line about this is if is if you're unhappy in your marriage or if it isn't working, you really need help. Mm -hmm. And I think that that for I talk about deal breakers. I don't know, have I ever talked about that? Deal Not breakers on, on this. Mm-mm. So one of the things that I suggest that people do before they get married, but it's not too late to do it once you're married, is to come up with between five and seven deal breakers, which means that if this happens in my marriage, mm-hmm. I won't stay. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very uh, comfortable mm-hmm. with taking that position mm-hmm. with yourself. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I love that. <clears throat> with yourself, not right. with the other person. Oh, no, no. Mm-hmm. It's with yourself mm-hmm. first. So mm-hmm. for me, my deal breakers would be untreated addiction, mm-hmm. verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mm-hmm. uh, untreated mental illness, uh, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, anything like that. Um, infidelity, mm-hmm. which has to be defined also. Right. That can be, you know, kissing another woman, obviously sexual. Uh, Texting, emotionally te- involved. Yes. Yep. Pornography, depending on what your stance is on that. And if a person were not willing to do therapy, mm-hmm then that would be a deal breaker for me too. Mm-hmm. And so if both people can come up with those deal breaker lists and and talk about those, then we have a roadmap for keeping our marriage together. Mm-hmm. And with the understanding that if one of us starts to lean in the area of breaking that deal breaker, that we go to go to that person and say, okay, we got to look at this because I'm not going to live with this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's, people aren't so blindsided right. by it, right. but people don't do that very often. Right. And the, the thing about a deal breaker is, um, my therapist told me years ago, he used the term, a, a stake in the ground issue. And what, and the visual I had with that, that like there's a stake in the ground and it's tethered to my soul. Mm-hmm. And if I stay in that marriage, when that's going on, that stake goes up and it rips my soul out. Wow. So we're living. What a, what a visual. Yeah. And we're living outside of our value system right. because we have to have limits for ourselves. Right and be able to communicate that with our partners. Then it's clear. And then we all then we can talk about it or we can get help right. if we see something that's starting to go a on. A trend. If we a see trend. something leaning in a direction that, that we've talked about. This has been 
we talked about this right, right before we before got married. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you're already married, then you do it from that time forward. Yeah. And then what's cool about that also, Tova, is then every other issue that can possibly come up can be negotiated. Mm. So if I say to myself, oh, I am so frustrated because Tom's not taking out the trash as often as I want, you know, I have to ask him about that. I have to talk with him about that mm -hmm. instead of entertaining leaving, which, right. you know, <laughs> right, right. that would not be a good decision. <laughs> but even if you have several of those things that crop up, mm -hmm. if it's not on your deal breaker list, mm -hmm. you take it off the table. You take leaving off the table. It's really good. Yeah. And then it's really good. you're not going to build up that little behavior or something mm -hmm. into something massive. It's work good. addiction, you know, how, wh what does that look like? How do you define it? Mm -hmm. How do you define it and how would your partner define that? Mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. you, you know, it's just about communication. You know, you, you taught me about deal breakers years ago and you know, I, I still get to marry people and, but, if, right. and I love officiating weddings. Um, but if I officiate your wedding, you have to do premarital counseling with me. And one, because of what you've taught Great. me, one of the weeks that, so I have six to eight weeks that I spend with these couples and, uh, the, the first meeting is deal breaker. Or no, the first one is expectations. The second is uh -huh. deal breakers. Love it. Love and, it. That's and, so good. And it's, but you've taught me that. And, and I have created my own, like in my mind, like sure. even as dating, like there, here's, here's what I will accept and here is what I cannot and will not accept. Like, well, and when you're doing it, when you're dating, if that, if your partner can't hear that, or your dating partner, then that's a really good sign that this is probably not the right person for you. Yeah. Because in our mind, we have to understand that that concept or that value of ours cannot be broken. Yeah. It cannot it's exist. It's a non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. It's really so, good. So, yeah. What yeah. what percent of society, what's the statistic now of of people who get divorced? You know, I don't know. I I think it's over 58% something wow. like that. So, let me ask you, do do you, uh, I I know a ton of people who come to you and I mean, clearly you, most people find a counselor when they're in crisis. Right. Um, and so when I'm sure, what, what, pers what, why do people get divorced? Let me ask you that. What are, what are the three biggest reasons why people, why marriages don't make it? Uh, infidelity. Mm -hmm. And what percent would you give that of the patients of the clients that you have? Uh, actually not quite as high as you might think I'm gonna say of the couples that come in mm -hmm. uh, you know fortunately right now most of the couples that come in my office are coming in to make their marriage stronger Ooh, that's good yeah it really is good and I love that rather than there being a big breach in in something that maybe they hadn't discussed as being a deal breaker. I think the thing that is so difficult with infidelity is it's, and some people choose to stay in a marriage after one, let's say their partner has been unfaithful. Um, the problem with that is that it is a very, very, very difficult 
task to rebuild trust. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate trust buster. Mm -hmm. You know, and I talk about that the foundation of a relationship is trust. And what trust is, is that words and behavior are congruent. Right. And when something like that happens, it's like you've jackhammered up the foundation of your relationship and it has to be put back together piece by piece by piece. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can't lie about anything. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, if you get a hamburger and you say, I had a hamburger for lunch with no onions and then your wife finds onions in the wrapper, the trust You're is back at square up. one. You're back at square one. And it's very difficult. Very difficult. How do how do couples who rebuild that trust how do how do, can you can you rebuild trust that has been broken to that degree? I think you can rebuild trust to a place that is reasonably uncomfortable. Mm. Mm. You know? Yeah. Because Which, that's because that is deep that is a hurt, that is a betrayal that is gigantic. And and does it hit men and women the same way? Like if if a woman cheats on a man and or a man cheats on a woman is is the reaction, is the response, is the betrayal, is, is it, does it cut equally in a man as it does a woman? It really does, but what I see is the difference is that in, what my experience has been is that if a woman cheats, mm -hmm. a man divorces, bam. Oh. If a woman, if a man cheats, women will tend to not get a divorce as readily, and I think that part of that has got to be some financial insecurity mm. Mm. because women are more dependent mm. on men mm. financially, but yeah. men are equally as devastated mm. if that happens, and it probably happens equally. Really? Yeah. You would give 50-50? Yeah. yeah, I would. Wow. I know. I know. That, I'm going to say that's very surprising yeah, to me. Yeah, it does is. Does that surprise you? That does not surprise me. Really? Yeah. It seems, to, you know, people are people, I think, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, um, we, we have become such a sexually accepting culture mm -hmm. that, that I think that it's easier for women to do that than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I think that it's because it, there's so much sexuality that's so in our face all the time, and yeah. I probably am sounding like a prude, <laughs> but on the television and, and everything, oh, in the magazines, yeah. and it's just right there in front of us. So I think we've become a little bit calloused to the sanctity of sexuality. Oh, for sure. And so therefore, it's in it, it, most of these affairs start with emotional connection with somebody. Somebody's at work, and they're, you're talking with them, and they're understanding you and they're not bitching at you like maybe your wife is and then they start to build a little fantasy. Mm -hmm. I, one of the things that is a little bit shocking to me that I've experienced is how many women have affairs with married men. And it's, it's you know, if women <coughs> didn't have affairs with married men, Married men wouldn't have affairs. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So wait, are you saying married women are having 
affairs with married men? Some married women and some unmarried women. Uh -huh. But what I have seen, what I've seen happen, it's surprising to me that there's not the loyalty to, to the other woman. women. I'm with you on that. You know, I am so with you on that. Thinking, why would I do this to another woman, especially a woman who has children? I, know. I mean, it is beyond my comprehension. It is beyond and my comprehension. How as well. would you ever trust that guy? If I have a woman comes in and says, you know, I'm having an affair with this guy, and oh my gosh, he's such a great guy. I'm like, <laughs> no, he isn't. <laughs> he is lying. He is He's cheating. cheating. <laughs> He's sneaking. You can get it, so blinded by emotion and uh, stuff like that, though. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. Which, for some reason, in your head, you rationalize like, "Oh, well, they wouldn't do it to me." You know. Yeah. It's, it's like it's uh, like you know, uh, is I say you know a lot of times if we start using our bottom, we stop using our brain. <laughs> kind of the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's powerful. It is really powerful. But and 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 all of that, I mean, I just have to say, I mean, I see people from a pastoral, I've seen people in that situation from right. a pastoral standpoint. You've seen people on in your office from a counseling standpoint and and you just like you're you're like you are a smart, successful human being. Like in what world would this ever make sense to right. you? And you're right. sensitive and you're compassionate and you're kind. Like, you, I, I, like, why would you ever think, one, that this would work, number two, that this would be a good idea, right. and number three, that you're not going to get caught? Well, and I think, that, I think that what happens with a lot of women, they, you know, women, there are a lot of very, 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 very successful women who have some fear of abandonment stuff from childhood if their father was gone or left or was you know emotionally unavailable mm -hmm. and so there you would be surprised at the number of very successful women that have this what Pia Melody calls love addiction mm -hmm. this which is very closely related to sex addiction and and so there's you know there's they even though they're very independent women they are emotionally very dependent on men and so when they get out into the world there's this phenomenon where uh love addicted women will draw to them emotionally unavailable men who are very seductive and come across as being you know slick willy but in a very sophisticated way and they just lose themselves in it and build up that fantasy before they know it. And then they are, they are love addicted to that man, which when you break up that love addiction connection, it's extremely powerful. Pia Melody wrote the most fantastic book called Facing Love Addiction. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is something else, but it really explains all of it. So there's kind of this feeling that goes on inside of the woman and then being with a man, married or not, is the tonic that soothes that. God. Because then they feel lovable. Love addiction is about, I don't feel lovable unless there's a man in my world telling me I'm lovable. Mm -hmm. And they want to be chosen. And but, the, but, but isn't, don't they break that pattern? Like once the person falls in love with them, don't, don't they dump them or something? The avoidant man? Yes. Yeah, the avoidant man will tend to leave. And then that leaves the... Because the woman, because the love-addicted woman 
it, at first, she's like, oh yeah, this would be great. I can just have an affair or I can just date and blah, 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 blah. But eventually, she's going to want the, the relationship to progress. Mm -hmm. For the most, I mean, I'd say that probability is 90%. Mm -hmm. You know, but then once the woman wants it to progress and what happens to the love avoidant is they start feeling like they have saran wrap around their head because they're like, <gasps> you know, oh, I'm going to lose myself in this and then they'll tend to pull away. And then the woman will, if they don't, if people don't work on that love addiction piece, if women don't, mm -hmm. if, if, if any of the listeners are, have had a history of picking men that are like the dance away lover that come into their world with, you know, seduction and all of this. And then once you get past four to six months when you want more and more, and then they walk away or dance away or go to somebody else, you really have to fix that or you will just continue to pick that sort of a guy. That is so interesting. Yeah, it is. And all of that goes back to childhood. So that sets you up for a really highly intense sexual premarital relationship because women seduce with sex. Mm -hmm. And men seduce with money and power. Right, right. Which I've learned from you. Yeah. <laughs> See, I well, pay I didn't attention. make any of it up. You do pay attention. That's very good. I need some money and power. <laughs> Yeah, you do, Ken. <laughs> no, you're enough, just as you are. <laughs> so when somebody comes into you, Janice, and they have decided to get a divorce, um, what, what, I mean, I, I know what I went through, but what, what is, like, common? Like, what can you expect? What can you expect? What, what is it? What are some common things that people who are getting divorced go through. So anybody who's either thinking about getting a divorce, is getting a divorce, has is divorced, what are what are some commonalities with people who who get divorced? Sadness, a lot of feelings. Sadness, fear, guilt, shame, uh, some joy because they're they've made a decision. I think that most people, if they have children, really struggle with that part of it. I know for me, that was a huge, huge... Oh, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreak for me. Oh. Um, and one thing that I do believe, and, and everybody who's listening, or anybody, can, is free to disagree with me on this, because I'm not the authority on, on much, but... I do believe that we model for our children healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships. Oh, I a thousand percent and agree with that. And if we don't grow up watching healthy relationships, we will tend to recreate the reality in which we were raised. Mm -hmm. And so I personally believe that children are better off with a divorced, with divorced parents than parents who yell and scream or call names or if they're sexual acting out. I mean, that sexual energy, it goes out in the house. You know, when you taught me that, when you said that to me, I, that really spoke to me because I, I just, I, I, would, I, I would have never thought about that. But well, there was that in the home that I grew up in. Right. And and so it spoke to me as growing up in that. And then just thinking about what, what my children were experiencing. And, and 
it there it we all give off energy well we do mm -hmm. and so uh, most of us don't really have a very effective containment boundary which is what keeps our energy inside so we all have sexual energy sure. but when we act that out by making sexual comments in front of children or pornography or if or if, checking other women out checking or checking other, other or checking adolescents out when they come over with your daughter you know mm -hmm. or things like that and children because that energy is out in the environment children are emotional sponges so they suck it in right. and it is toxic toxic yeah. energy you taught me about oozing yeah um, oh it's creepy yeah and you know you can you if you really become sensitive to it you can get on an elevator and feel somebody eyeing you up and down, like, hey, yeah, baby. Sorry to interrupt. What is oozing? I, I got to know. It's really good. It's that sexual energy that isn't contained that leaks out into the environment, oozes out into the environment. Inadvertently. And it can be, yeah, they don't, they're not doing it intentionally. It's totally subconscious. Right. And, and then, but they're, you know, like, is it oogling or ogling? I'm not sure how they're ogling. Oh. oh. What? Is it? I think so. <laughs> now we're really messed up. Could somebody let us know? <laughs> it's one of the three. I'm not sure in Lubbock. I'm not even sure we had that word. <laughs> but, that's you know, so men funny. do that, the eyeballing women up and down and all of that stuff. That's, that's uncontained sexual energy. It's just like rage is uncontained anger. Mm -hmm. And when rage goes out in your environment... Children will suck yeah. that in, that energy in too, yeah. and they will act it out, or they will marry somebody that does the mm -hmm. same exact thing, even though in their head they're thinking, "I would never yell at somebody, or I would never be married to somebody that yells." You, you can, con I think. Sorry, I keep jumping in here. No, you can condition yourselves in a way, you know, just um, to not do that out of respect when you're with a girl, you know, like intentionally not always. Ogle, oogle, ogle every you know girl that comes yeah. by. Yeah, um, I know sometimes it's inadvertent, but I think for the most part, if a guy is somewhat conscious of it, you can make sure you know not to do that. Well, because it's you know when when my husband now and I had our second date, we were at Tay Tay, and this really beautiful woman walked in the room, and I noticed her, mm -hmm. and I watched him to see how he looked at her, and he looked at her and looked right back at me continued our conversation, you know, didn't look over again to look at her That's exactly again. what I mean. Yeah. And I was like, okay, check. Yeah. Doesn't have that oogling, ogling, ogling, whatever yeah. it is. And it was really important to me. Because a glance, obviously, is something you can avoid. I mean, that's just yeah. any kind Beautiful of person who walks don't, by. Don't go away just because you're in a relationship. True. But, I mean, even yeah. if a guy walks by who happens right. to just be 6'6", six, sure. six, it caught my eye. You know, you look. But it doesn't mean, that, you, know, doesn't mean you have to... Well, we're, we're going to notice somebody that is really beautiful. But it's that losing that energy mm -hmm. that... I remember I, da I dated a guy, and we would go dancing some. And when he was dancing... He was always looking out at other women, you know, and I was like dancing, trying to be like, did you see me? <laughs> but he was always kind of scanning mm. and it was creepy. Yeah. Once I realized that I'm like, hmm, this guy is, uh, it kind of makes you sick to your stomach, but it's a very real thing. Oh, it is. A, and it is for any guy listening who does that 
Stop it. Stop. <laughs> it is so hurtful. But I do want to say to guys listening also, though, it's total BS to say that, oh, well, if you really love your significant other, then you wouldn't. It's like, it's impossible not to notice, but it's totally possible to not be disrespected Overt. and creepy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, it needs to be contained. And like you, you said, it's and containment. If you are married to a man that does that, then I suggest that you sit down with them and be kind and say, you know, this is my experience. I, I, when we're out and a beautiful woman walks by, I watch you linger on her or I her up and down. And when you do that, I feel creepy about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like you are fantasizing about objectifying. What it, yeah, I mean. objectifying is a great word, yeah, and I don't word, like yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And I want you to stop it. Yeah. You know, because that's part of that. Fidelity boundary, I think. Well, I that's a hundred percent of fidelity yeah. boundary for me. I mean, it just makes me feel bad when I've been in that situation. It's terrible. Yeah, it just makes a woman feel feel invisible, right? And and right. not worth well, her looking not, at, and not cherished. Yeah, not cherished. And yeah. that's the thing. And you know, we've said before. You know, guys, if you want to have sex with your partner, she has to feel cherished because yeah. it will shut down yeah. that sexual part. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, it will. Mm -hmm. It will. <laughs> oh, yes, it will. Clam shut. Guys need to feel cherished too sometimes. Well, of course, guys, you, do. you need to be feel appreciated. Absolutely, guys <laughs> need to feel cherished. They definitely <laughs> do. Thank you for throwing that in. And it's embarrassing for they guys really to admit if they ever feel like that because you're like, oh, I'm acting like a girl, you know? But you, 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 it, it happens to us. That's no, you do. Sweet. That's you sweet, really Kat. do. Um, so, so. When people get divorced, do you recommend that they take time off of dating? Do you recommend, is there like a time period that you say, hey, I would take a couple months, I would take six months, I would take a year? Do you have any recommendation like that? Well, one of the things, I, I, and this is just me, and I don't, I'm not saying that this is, you know, kind of set in stone, but I kind of believe that it's better if you don't date until your divorce is final. Oh, because yeah. that just is confusing to the kids, yeah. especially. Yeah. And, you know, if something happens and you decide to get back in with this person that you're separated from, mm -hmm. then, uh, or from whom you're separated, poor grammar. And <laughs> then, uh, you know, then it's it, it could be a real saboteur for that because then the guy or the woman is going to be suspicious and want details and all of that. Yeah. So I do believe that. And I also think, depending on how long the divorce takes, I think that we want to take time to really cherish ourselves and learn how to be with ourselves instead of having to have somebody there all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I think three to six months. I don't think you really need a long extended period of time. Mm -hmm. I would certainly not remarry really quickly. Right. You know, and what's really quickly to you? Oh, I think anything under a year yeah. would be too a little too fast because you've got to get through that marketing phase mm -hmm. of you know the first four to six months because mm -hmm. so the fantasies you know you start to see some moles and warts mm -hmm. on that person mm -hmm. and so that is so I think that's important mm -hmm. you know there are a lot of single people out there and I just think people get in such a hurry and I don't 
I don't want them to do that because I think we'll tend to settle for less than what we really want. One other thing, and I don't, I don't think I've said this, is that I, you know, I strongly encourage people to write out everything they want in their partner. Mm-hmm. And you to, made me do that, uh huh, and to claim Loved it. it. Mm-hmm. And every night and every morning, you just say, thank you, God, for bringing me this perfect partner. And read out every single thing. And remember those deal breakers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want somebody with hair, put hair on there. <laughs> but that probably is not a deal breaker. Right. You right. know, sure but it would be nice, but, but it would be fun. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, or a sixth foot as mm-hmm. opposed to five ten or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And men, I encourage men to do this too. It's to good. really think about what sort of a what sort of a woman are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think is one really important I want to mention is if you can to the best of your ability, be kind to your ex. Oh, it yes. is so important yes. to the children. We uh, had Thanksgiving with my ex-husband. He came to my daughter's house. She hosted, which was just so fabulous. <laughs> and he's going to come to Christmas at mine and Tom's house. And, you know, that it's easier on the kids and and to be that sort of a modern family without having animosity towards one another. Yeah. It, when If somebody cheats, it's really difficult to get beyond that. And you probably won't do that for the first several years, but eventually you want to try to get there. And, and I strongly urge people not to say negative things about their partner to their children. Right. Because remember, this is these are these children's dad or mom Mm -hmm. and they love them Mm -hmm. no matter I mean they love them yes and they want to be with them and they desperately need them yes yes that's something that that you really inspired me to do well that my dearest best friend Mary Catherine Mm -hmm. inspired me to do well is is to to really treat my ex-husband well and and you know what he treats me well. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's called you, kindness. Yes, that's and, all it takes. And there's nothing else to fight about. No, like, no. We don't, there's nothing else to right. fight about. And and I mean, it does take. I know people who would like to be kind, but their ex is so unkind that right. it's difficult. So and well, it's not easy. It has somebody, to be mutual. It does. And mm-hmm. if you know, if if somebody, you know, kindness is is really not that difficult. Right. You. You can say yes, right? And that's kind. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean you have to say yes all the time. You can right. say no kindly. Mm-hmm. You can say right. that's not going to work for me, yeah. or I understand that that's what you want, but I'm not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. That's kind. Mm-hmm. So it that's that's really really important. Yeah, it really is. I have seen my children have a much easier time mm-hmm. because of how. My ex-husband and I, how Topher and I treat each other, and I am so grateful for oh, for that. Tobin, and that they is, thank me. Oh, they it's thank such me. a gift mm-hmm. for those precious children mm-hmm. because they didn't they didn't, they didn't get a divorce. Yeah, yeah, it's true. They that is such. I've never heard you say that before, Janice, but that is so profound. Yeah. They did not get a divorce. They no. still have a mom and they still have a dad. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's important. really, really, really good. Um. So one of the things about that I, something that you said sparked a sermon that I heard years ago, and uh-huh. I, I've said it on this podcast before, but 
it was by a guy named Andy Stanley, and it was all uh-huh. about uh, the sermon series was all was about being single, and he really like geared it up like, okay, I'm gonna teach you how to find the perfect person, like you know when he was like promoting, okay, right. my next sermon series, we're gonna talk all about this is for you single people. We're going to talk all about how to find the perfect person. And then the first sermon of the series was all about, the sermon series was all about you becoming the perfect person. Right. Right. And he was like, you're stop searching for the perfect person. Start becoming the perfect person. Well, and I don't, I don't think that we, anybody's going to be perfect, but I think that what you look at, look at the traits that you want in somebody and be that. Yeah. You know, I want somebody that's kind, be be that. I want somebody that takes good care of themselves physically, be that. I want somebody that spends their money wisely, be that yourself. Right. So that's what you will attract. You will. And he said, become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I and love that. That's yo, awesome. It was so, it was, I was married at the time and I thought, gosh, I wish somebody had taught me that. Right. Like, stop, stop waiting for Mr. Wright to fall into your lap. Start becoming Miss Wright. Right. Like, become the person that you want to attract. Well, and you know, I believe that we were created to be in relationship. Yeah. And I think that there, we want to draw to ourselves abundance in relationship. Mm. And when we define that for ourselves and we claim that for ourselves, it's not about asking God for it. It's not because it's not, God isn't Santa Claus, (laughs) you know, it's there. Right. Just claim it for yourself Mm. and know what you want and don't settle for less and be that sort of person and have fun while, while you are single Mm. and enjoy that part of it Mm -hmm. because that positive energy is going to attract positive energy. Right. Right. And, and you'll get it. Yeah. I do Uh, believe that. I have to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm in a relationship now, Uh but I was single, like did not, I've dated a ton, but I, I was not in a relationship for a long time. And, and there was like, I was, well, I thought, oh, I'm, it would be great to be in a relationship. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I have to have a relationship. Right. And I have to say, I was, I can't believe how much I enjoyed being totally single mm-hmm. and how much I and how much I enjoy being single now. I mean, I'm in a relationship, but I'm not engaged and I'm not married. And I, there, you know, for anybody who's afraid to get divorced, like knows they need to get out, but they're afraid to get divorced. I would just say I had all those same feelings right. as well, but it is not scary to be single. No. No. It is not scary. And I, I thought it would be scary for so many reasons. I thought it would be scary and sad to be alone at night. I thought it would be scary and sad to be on my own financially. I thought it would be scary and sad to um, to not have somebody to go to the movies with. Right. You know, and raise children. Yeah, and, and yeah. or yes, all yeah. of it, all of it. But I have to say, when you find and you will, when you find your your groove and like Oh my gosh! There, there are so many beautiful things. I, I like. I get to read all the time. I, right. I can track. I can do whatever I want. I can have cereal for dinner. 
I can, right. you know, I, I, whatever energy exists in my home, it's mm-hmm. because of me mm-hmm. and my children. Right. Like, the, it's just, there are beautiful, non-scary things right. about being single. And I do agree with you. I think, I think God created us to be in relationship. And I think as long as those relationships are challenging you to become the best version of yourself that you can be, then that's a great place to be. But if it's not, gosh, it is not, it is not that hard to be on your own. No, it's a lot more difficult, I think, to be in a, in a very dysfunctional marriage than it is to be single. Yeah. And I think that I love the Al-Anon saying, let it begin with me. Mm-hmm. And developing a real comfortability with oneself is the, the greatest yeah. gift I ever gave myself. <laughs> me too. And I, I am really grateful for having that opportunity to do it because I got in, I mean, I married for, you know, the day after I graduated from college. So I never really had the, the opportunity to develop a good, strong relationship with myself. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm not, I'm certainly not advocating divorce, No, no, but, me neither. but because it is the mo- single most painful, I've lost children and People say, oh, I've heard that's the worst. You know, like, it, is it the worst thing? And I have to say that me getting divorced was harder on me than even losing my children. Oh, sorry. It, it was. And I know. It, it was because it felt like this, this, was some, this was all within our control. Mm-hmm. You know, losing my children was completely right. out of my control. Right. And there was nothing I could do. And I, and, but I, like when you're married there, you're contributing to something, you're right. fighting for something or you're not contributing to something. You're not fighting for something. And, you know, it, it, it's like sand going through your hands. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, you, I just, we just lost it mm-hmm. and gosh, it was sad. And so, well, the, and that's the thing, I guess I just want to say, if you are, if your marriage is in trouble, if you're both willing, you can fix that. Yeah. And, and fight like and hell I am telling to you fix it. That a great marriage, because I've been married like 12 years, it is without a doubt the most amazing thing. It's so easy mm-hmm. because we're really kind to each other. We both can live. We make choices. We're, we're very different. But you can, a broken marriage can be repaired if both people are willing to do the work. Wow. They really can. There's a great book, The New Rules of Marriage by Terrence Real, who is the guy with whom I train with my couple stuff. And it's a great book. If, you're, if your marriage is kind of rocky, I suggest that you buy it and you all read a chapter and then meet and talk about it and see if you can get some of those principles activated in your marriage. And if you can't, then seek some help for it. Mm. Because you can, you know, we're, there can be repair a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, and I love, I love, I, I want to end with that positive, that if you are struggling and if you think that there is no hope, if both parties are willing to fight like hell and do whatever it takes, and I mean, it is, marriage, it's fun and exciting and wonderful, but it's work. You know, being in a relationship, sharing your life with somebody, 
It's work. Well, what we have to do in a relationship is we have to work on ourselves in the relationship. Mm -hmm. We don't work on relationships. Mm -hmm. We work on ourselves in the relationship, asking for what we want, being kind, all of those things. Yeah. And then the relationship works. Yeah. You know, it's but really it's about rolling your eyeballs back in your head and saying, what do I need to do to make this better? And mm -hmm. maybe it's talk about it as opposed to, you know, picking your picking your partner apart. But anyway, it's it's worth the effort if you both want it. Yeah, I, I heard from I, I read in a book one time that said there's no unhappy marriages. There's only unhappy people who happen to be married. Right. <laughs> that's right. No, that's true. That's that's really true. Well, thank you, Janice, oh, once again so for, for helping you. our ratings and skyrocketing <laughs> our listeners. And thank you for having all me. All of your wisdom. I mean, you are such a gift. And well, thank, thank you, you thank you, thank you, thank you for the sacrifice you always make to come here and record with us. We, I love it. We love you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs>